Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. This morning we're going to begin something, and um, um, we have this class, this, I don't like the word class, gathering called Next Steps, and we're right in the middle of morphing it, sort of changing it back to, some, to, to a point. And so what I'm going to do for the next, what we're going to do for the next seven weeks is we're going to go through this together. Because New Hope, we need to, more than ever, at a, at a time when, you know, they're saying, well, only 30% of the people are going to return to church and this and that, all these things. You know, I, what we're going to learn in this study is I care deeply about reaching people and that they become part of a faith family. But at any moment, whoever is or is not in this room doesn't define our capacity to share the gospel. We, I can tell you on the other side of where we are, I know the story we'll tell and the song that we'll sing. God is faithful. And I'm excited more than ever uh, about the opportunities. I mean that. I mean, at 63 and nearly 40 years in public ministry, uh, we had a three-day staff meeting. It's sort of a quarterly intensive thing this week. And I told them every day, I'm more excited. I'm excited to be here with the people that are here, with the team that's leading, the elders, the pastoral staff, with you guys, uh, more than ever. And I, I said, you know, I want us to, God to awaken us, a reclaiming, a revitalizing of of the deposit of grace within us that he's called us to share. The Bible calls that the Great Commission. I'm not going to talk about that. If I were to ask you today and poll you, it's one of those things. What's the Great Commission? No doubt half of you in the room say, well, I'm, I'm really not sure what that means. We'll come to that. But I want to talk to you today about the mission of New Hope Church. And, and we outlined it around that, that word mission, which may seem whatever. I don't know. I hope not corny. But the M-I-S-S-I-O-N, and those seven points of mission are progressive. And listen, uh, material will be made available to you, but it's meet people where they are. That's where we start. Instill God's value in every life. Now watch what we're called to do and what Jesus did. Instill God's value in every life. Secure the promise, that's S, secure the promise of God's word. In other words, we meet people, we communicate to them, you're valuable because God made you. Do you know why we call out the value in people? It's not because we like them or don't like them. It's because God made them. And if they're God's creation, we're going to honor God's creation. And God created them with ultimate intention of them coming to know him intimately. Not everyone will, but that is his intention. We share his heart, and so we meet people where they are. We instill God's value, declare God's value in every life. Uh, we, we secure the promise of God's word. That's God's opinion is final. Then we encourage, we don't just leave them there. We stimulate, that's the next F, uh, S, um, growth and change in the lives that we can grow, that you don't, we can meet everybody where they are, but we don't leave them there. The good news is God's never done with us. Um, uh, boy, 10 things I want to say there. And then uh, integrate giftedness. Everybody has a gift. Really, God has giftedness. And, and it's, here, please listen. Pew sitting is not one of them. It's, it's a good thing we get to do, but that's not a gift, okay? That's something we get to do when we come to get to, to, to worship, but we have gifts, and, and one of the greatest things the adversary wants to do is to convince us that, well, there's, there's really nothing unique or special about me or nothing that I have to bring to the party. You do, okay? 
And uh, so we integrate, we find the giftedness and say, man, there's an opportunity for you to serve inside the walls, outside the walls, wherever. And then the, the next two are sort of where the church lands. We overcome in prayer and praise. That's a central value here. It is this action of prayer, praying together and worshiping, and not just in this room, but on our own, but we model it here. We overcome in prayer and praise. And then the last word is what happens as a result of this is community happens. We network together in relationships. We come together. We reach out to one another's lives. This is not a place of, 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 if you will, Western individualism. You don't have to make it on your own. And as one secular author, oh, um, Malcolm Gladwell wrote, and he, wrote, he writes the story of all of these images of people who have succeeded in the last hundred years, including Bill Gates and, and, and uh, Einstein and, and different ones like that. And he says, what you will discover is no one did it on their own. No one ever does it on their own. They may say, I'm a self-made man, a self-made woman. But in fact, if there's any expressed levels of success or achievement, they don't get there on their own. It doesn't happen. So it's not weakness to say, hey, I need you. It's an opportunity, because as we reach out and network together, something happens. So over these next six weeks, uh, you're going to hear these over and over again. Today, I want to talk about meeting people where they are, and I'm going to try to do two things at once every week, tell you what we need to be doing with this, but I want us to experience how it's already happened to us. In other words, I'm, I'm not just going to give you, go do this, this, and this, and this, what we do in terms of reaching others will always be born of, oh, 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 it's the story I tell, that my God never fails, that I know it is well, but I like, I know it well. See, you're sharing the story of you, your life, and, and reaching out to touch others around you through relationship. Um, you don't have to have a piece of paper to check off every day. It should be something that flows out of us. But there's something that I want us to get that I don't know that I had the clearest picture of until just early this morning. I want us to see how Jesus models this for us. I think we can move through it with clarity and purpose. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says we, we beheld, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Everybody say dwelled. Okay, that would, no, come on, say it, dwelled. That's the term that means to pitch a tent. And the connotation there is, for those of you that are new in faith, whenever that, when that phrase would have been mentioned in that context, John writing about it, it would have been complete with overtones of what he knew he was talking about because the tent that, is, that comes to mind most often is the tabernacle. And what God is saying here in his word, he said, I want you to know, he says, my son came and he tabernacled among you. Now, not only was he the tabernacle, but if you go to John chapter 2, around verse 14, something goes on there. But um, Amanda, let's skip ahead to verse 19 real quickly. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, he answered him, now, and we can go back and read the four verses in front of it. He answered them and said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, he was at the temple, but he was talking about himself. This passage of Scripture says that destroy me, kill me, three days I'll raise it up. Uh, and in fact, that happened at the resurrection. But the point being 
that in chapter 1, he identifies himself as the tabernacle. In chapter 2, he says, I am the temple. That's no accident. Now back up, if you can, to verse 14 with me. And it says, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at the tables. And he said, uh, and he made a scourge of cords and drove them out from the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, and he said and to those who were selling the doves, he said, take these things away, stop making my father's house, and the, the language here is just another place of business. Worship is not just another thing, beloved, not here today, it wasn't then. But what I want to draw in on is Jesus shows up and says, what you have done, see, because the temple was exclusively the place where people from within the Jewish um, uh, uh, mindset and ideology, it was the place that people got to come back to God. It's where they offered their sacrifices, it's where they brought them, and it was the point of reconciliation between mankind and God. The deepest conviction, and Jesus said, I want you to understand what you're doing here in this place, at this building, is absolutely insufficient. And he uses tongue-in-cheek language. You're ripping people off of what they were hoping to purchase with their presence. And what they were, I'm saying purchase tongue-in-cheek, is they were hoping to purchase an encounter with God. And he said, you've absolutely messed it up. Then he goes out of the temple and I'm not aware, with the exception of personally, the leper, one of the lepers, he said, go show yourself to the priest, that he ever directed anybody back to the temple, and that would have been consistent with the Jewish mindset that the only way you can get back to God is to go to the temple. Now, in John chapter 4, we're continuing the book of John, favorite chapter in the Bible for me. It's the only place in the Bible where a living God tells us what worship is. He uses the term 10 times in chapter 4, so it's clearly God disclosing to us what worship is about, how I get back to God. And in verse 21, he's speaking to the woman, and he says, the woman at the well, and again, for those of you not familiar, he meets her in the middle of the day. It was very inappropriate. Uh, she was a Samaritan. He was a Jew. There are reasons behind that. It was all wrong. She calls that out to him. He said, "If you had any idea who you were talking to, uh, you would just you would you would say entirely different words." And so they have this discourse. She discovers, "Wow, I think you may be a prophet. What do I need to do? I go here or go there." Watch the words that Jesus says. And you, I, can't, I can't get across to us enough the significance and the weight of these words for him to make this statement believe, because she said, some say we worship here because there was a place in Samaria to worship that had been uh, established when the country, when Israel was cut in two, uh, uh, I don't know, 600 years earlier. And, but he says to her, she says, some say we should worship here and some in Jerusalem. And he says, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father? What is he saying? He says that that temple's not, not necessary. He says the temple, and he says, I am the temple. Did you know that Paul would build a bridge and say that you are the temple? So watch this poetry. If people need to get back to God, and the old ideology is the only way they can get back to God is if they get to a temple, isn't the poetry of that beautiful? God says, I'm not using one anymore that's made by brick and stone or in one location in the Middle East. I now have millions of temples. You're it. 
I, I don't know a way to drive this home enough that people who don't know Christ as their Savior, they need to get back to the temple. And God says, I agree 100%. That's why I'm sending you the temple to them. Which brings me to the first statement of meet people where they are. That's our mission. I want to say two things. This is not me telling you to do that this week. I believe we should. I, my level of consciousness about this has just gone through the ceiling. Because most of the people that I have influenced or talked to about Jesus Christ are people in the church. That is my social circle. But I am intentionally reaching and looking for opportunities uh, to talk to people. I, I, I did uh, yesterday. I, I just every, every, everywhere I go, I mean, I'm really on this thing. Lord, create an opportunity. And guys, if there's a crumb of a possibility, I am on it. I'm checking out at Staples, and, and they, they noticed that I was getting something for the church on New Hope, this and that. And um, yeah, my dad was a pastor for, for 38 years and found out it was an assisted denomination. I said, really, tell me about that. And then he shared with me. Uh, he says, yeah, I'm a pastor's kid. He said, I, I just, I, but I don't go to church anymore. He said, I was involved in training uh, at a Brownsville, if those, if many of you here know that, that uh, Assembly of God in Pensacola. And he says, but I just don't go to church. I said, well, and we were by ourselves. I said, I don't mean to beg the moment, and I know I've already paid for this and we're done. I said, but can you just share with me a glimpse of that? And he, and, and he did. And so I got to drop some seeds, and I said, I'd, I want to come back. And uh, I said, uh, I know you don't know me. I said, but I'd love to have a cup of coffee and hear your story. And, and he looked shocked. And so I'm, I'm going to go back there, and we're going to have a cup of coffee, and I'm going to hear a story. And that's the second or third person. I had discovered I wasn't doing it with intentionality because I share the word you know, with, with you guys. That's where I'm I, the pastor shepherd doing that. But I thought, wow, I, I, I want to I share the gospel with intentionality. And again, I don't go to work at a place with a bunch of heathens sitting across the desk from me. Well... Depends on whether or not Pastor Matt comes to the office. Then, you know, then, then uh, yeah. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? I thought I'd pick on him rather than Pastor Steve because he's worn out from 40 years of me picking on him for everything. So, But um, everybody get where I'm going? Okay, now let's, let's take, um, there's, uh, I want us to glance at the story from John chapter 9. And I think we should get here, here quickly and how we started. A year and a half ago we, we looked at this and I was so moved by it. And it was a result, when I, I went back and found my notes on this, and I said, um, t- and, I, and I don't normally write reminders like this, but I said, on Tuesday, March 19th, 2019, I wrote this. I don't, I don't write dates, times, and things like this in my notes. I said, I had the most, and it's a note to me, I had the most incredible visitation in about three hours of worship and prayer, and God spoke to me, and, and he said, I've called you to be a conversation starter, to, converse, to start a conversation between two worlds. I, I think he was just speaking to me. I think he's speaking to us for people of faith. Now, the beautiful picture of this um, in John chapter 9 that happens, let's go there, okay? We're going we're gonna to just grab some scripture because I have to get to the close of it. And remember, what we're after here is meeting people where we are, and I want two things to happen again. Not just for you to hear me telling you, well, Pastor Tom said, this is what I've gotten to do. It is my hope and belief that 
That, that happens for you at New Hope every week. And I'm going to show you how by the time we get to the end. Every week, every week, we have an opportunity to have a conversation with God. So here we go. As he passed by, Jesus passed by, he saw a blind, man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? In times past, I've, you know, that's an odd verse. And when you come to it, you can think, okay, well, what did this guy do that when he was still in the womb? You know, how could he have sinned? And it becomes sort of a, a rhetorical question, but it, th- there's some history behind it. You know, let me take a moment here. Some of you are going to send me questions about the book of Revelation that are informed by a system of thinking and thought that's popular in culture that may or may not really be what Revelation um, is about. Uh, because we're so influenced by echoes and images, that's what's happening here. They say, did this man sin or his parents? Now, what the Bible doesn't tell you is that Jewish consciousness carried the whole um, um, Isaac and Jacob. There were twins born. One was going to come out first, go to the Old Testament. It's great stuff. You need to read the Bible. It's fantastic. And one was coming out. It said the other one grabbed him by the ankle and pulled him back so he could get out first. They regarded that as a sin. And that's the consciousness informing that. You read this verse and it seems like, but that's a stupid verse. Did this man sin? He was, he was born blind. Remember that? So did this man sin, which means he had to sin in the womb. What did he do? Or was it his parents? Something his parents did. So there was that consciousness. But Jesus dispels all of that immediately uh, and says, Jesus answered, neither this man sin nor his parents. And I, again, I love teaching on this for a different reason, but I, I won't digress. But so that the works of God might be displayed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's today. Night is coming when no man can work. And he makes a statement there. When he, verse 6, let's skip ahead. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, applied it to clay to his eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went away, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, there's a ton of stuff compressed right there about meeting people where they are. How many know it's awkward? First of all, this guy is the object of a conversation, not involved in it. He's a blind guy that's been there for now adult years. Uh, We learn he's old enough to answer for himself, so he is probably at least 25, somewhere around the age of 30. Many have speculated. So this is no child. But for years, he's been sitting there blind. There's a a, a garment that would be thrown out in front of him, which was sort of a, a, um, um, a license. He had the license to beg. And... um, uh, and he would put something out there, and people would come by and throw coins or whatever in it. But that's where he was. He was the object of conversations, but never involved in one. And sure enough, right here, they look across and say, what about the blind guy? So they're standing there talking to him. While they're talking, I want you to get Jesus sort of walking over by this guy. There's no indication he ever speaks to him or ever calls his name. Which, how many know first encounters with God can be very weird? Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? He's going to ambush us and catch us off guard. He will. And what if he wants to use you as part of that ambush? I mean, a grace-filled ambush, not one where you beat the stuffing out of people with religious words. But I mean, God says, I want to ambush them like I did. Do you get this? That the very first thing that happens is all of a sudden there's mud in his hand. Now, let's switch the point of perspective to the guy sitting on the side of the road there. And all of a sudden... There's mud on his eyes that smells like bad breath. I mean, boom. He never speaks to him. 
He never says, can I touch you? Can I put mud on your eyes? Hey, dude, how long have you been sitting here? It's awkward. He just comes and boom, there's mud on his eyes. Very first words are, go wash. There's never any response from the guy saying, I don't have any clue what's going on here. I mean, he got up and he went to the pool and he washed. Okay, now he comes back seeing. Watch this. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one he used to sit and beg? You, you get that? Says, I think it's him. It looks like him. No, it can't be him. This guy can see. He's walking by himself. Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, it just looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Have, have anybody here, can you remember the first days after you accepted Christ as Savior? All of a sudden, it began to affect how you acted. It should, by the way. It affected how you acted, maybe things you did, jokes you didn't listen to anymore, uh, those kind of things. And, and, they, and so you come walking in and say, well, I, you know, I, I think that's Bob. I don't know if it's Bob. It just looks like him. He doesn't act the same. The Bob that I knew did this, this, and this, and this. Beloved, can I tell you that an encounter with eternity that opens our eyes to see things we couldn't previously see, watch the beauty of this poetry. It changes everything. People are going to say, are, are, are you the same guy? You know, wouldn't it be good to have a wonderful encounter with God, be driving home with your wife, and you're just overflowing from by reason? By the way, do you know that should happen every week? This continual growing, growing, that's stimulating growth and change we're going to come to. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great for your spouse to look over, and all of a sudden you've had some dynamic encounter every week, and she looks over and says, who are you, and what did you do with my husband? Nobody's laughing. Okay, maybe that's not supposed to happen. Okay, so others were saying, I, he's... Uh, but he kept saying, it's me, it's me. Look at that, verse 9. So they were saying to him, how then are your eyes open? He said, this man who is called Jesus made clay. Now somebody's informed him somewhere because there's no dialogue. So clearly there is something that's going on. He anointed my eyes. <laughs> Not really, okay? You think an anointing, that was an anointing oil. He anointed my eyes. No, he put mud in my eye, Okay. Uh, and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away, washed, and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. Notice how this testimony works. That's the first interrogation. The second one was they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now, uh, it was on Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and so they were fussing at him. If you continue uh, to read, um, he, and the Pharisees in verse 16 said, this man's not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And there are some great and powerful studies here about the power of testimony and how it messes up a lot of religion, okay? Uh, now, let me see. Verse 22, they called his parents in and, uh, and, and asked him, and, and that didn't, uh, and, and they, they were afraid to answer. I'm trying to skip ahead here. Um, because they didn't answer, because if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah, they would be put out of the temple. So in verse 24, here's the third interrogation. So a second time they called to the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. Now he's been brought to the, to the temple. And he then answered and said, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. And I've said this to you before. When you share your faith, share your story. Because you, there's all sorts of information and argumentation about Christian faith and whatnot. And, you know, people can Google search and argue you to death about apologetics or, 
or philosophy, what they can't argue with is this right here. All I know is that I was blind and I, now I see. For 18 years here, I've, I've made this statement to you that a person with a testimony is never at the mercy of one with a theory. Never. You may encounter someone who is just, I don't know, rabidly committed to a world value and secular system of thought and philosophy, and they may try to shred your faith to pieces factually or, or even historically or by pointing out uh, extraneous passages of Scripture that look as though that they in, uh, uh, oppose one another. All of these little points of argumentation, but you need not walk into a world wondering if you have enough knowledge to live out and hold on to your faith because what you have is a testimony. Your eyes were blind and now you see. You've had an encounter with God. And that's what we pray happens here, that God leaps over for, for all the years that Brent and I have been in ministry. We pray for one thing, maybe more than anything else, and that people would encounter God despite our best efforts or our inabilities to communicate things in sequence or to a mind is it possible for God to leap over the mind and speak straight to the spirit of a person? And the answer is yes. And that's what I pray happens here. That's what I pray happens when we leave this place and this room full of little temples, you're one, I'm one, goes out in the world to meet people where they are, that they'll have a sense of something going on in you that messes with their best argument. I'm, there, there's nothing... There's nothing they can say when you walk away and they can become passionate, angry or whatever. And you say, okay, well, that's all good. I just wanted to share my story that I was addicted. I was hurt. I was broken. I was rejected. I was this and that. And I met him. I couldn't see what life was all about. And sort of like the blind man in scripture, God encountered me. He ambushed me. I didn't see him coming. But all I know is that my eyes are open now and I can see and I understand some things. I'm sorry if you don't. Uh, but, you know, I love God. That's how I'm going to roll. You know, we all have faith in something. We all worship something. You know, you go for it. I'm here if you want to hear any more about it. Thank you. You know, that wears people out that are just argumentative. Uh, argumentative. It, it just wears them out, and it shuts it down. So did you know we're more fearful than ever right now of sharing our faith that will be canceled, ghosted, whatever, that if we share our faith, it's so unpopular because if you share Christian faith in Christ, now in our culture, if you do that, you are almost immediately branded as conservative politically. How in the world did that happen? When did following Jesus in a passionate manner become a political agenda? But it is nothing other than the whis listener, hiss and whisper of the serpent trying to turn this in on ourselves. Stand on your faith. We're not here to advance a political ideology or a cultural ideology. We are here as ambassadors that is certainly as Jesus came to earth and dwelled among us, I believe passionately where you go to work is by God's design. And if you got up tomorrow morning and said, as I go to that, Father, it's a place where you have positioned me to tabernacle. As certainly, I want to get this, as certainly as God came to the planet, took on flesh, and he changed the whole orientation. Do we get that? Yeah. 
that Jesus came, and it says, full of grace and truth. When he leaves, there's a spirit of truth. And what informs us, John writes, is the word of truth. You want to know what truth does? And by the way, I've never said what I'm going to say just this way to you. Truth is not declared in static existence. If that worked, the Old Testament and the law would have accomplished everything. Because it was all there. But God said they're not getting it. So, I, by the way, I just leaped over that. Around here, if you're new, the word truth means, in, in, the, in the New Testament, Greek word means to unhide. And that is amazing provision. It says when we worship, we worship in spirit and in truth. Because the, the, the core problem for humanity at the close of Genesis 3 is that what? They were deceived, afraid, and they hid from God and each other. Beloved, the world is still in hiding, and they're still looking for a great unhider. Jesus came full of grace and unhiddenness, and he went place after place bringing people out. Because here's the deal. Truth is not just a declaration of my faith, and that's the truth, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you don't live that way, you're going to hell. Bless God. See you later. That is not how we declare truth. Truth is relationally delivered. Truth does what Jesus did. It walks into the cave of all of our best hiding places in the darkness. It ventures in there with a little flicker of light, maybe just a candle, and reaches out and takes someone by the hand and says, you don't have to hide here in your brokenness. You don't have to hide here in your failure. You don't have to hide here in your disillusionment. You don't have to hide here in the rejection you've experienced. You can step out of this cave and in to light. Beloved, that is the ongoing mission of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the wonder of the spirit of truth. You get that? If Jesus was the unhider, and he says, I'm leaving you a word of unhiding that will constantly, every day, when you open the pages and it flutters with breath from another dimension and, and breathes on you as 2 Timothy 3.16 declares God's word is God breathed. When that breathes on me and becomes a spirit of God at work, it's the spirit of truth. At every angle, God is reaching out, taking us by the hand and saying, come on out, come on out, come on out of that hiding place. It is no less true right here in this story than when every place that the man had placed his hope. Did you know for how many ever years, however old he was, let's say 30, the hopes that he had held while he was sitting on the side of the road is I'm not included in conversations, I'm just the object of one. You know, I would give anything to not be blind because then I'd be accepted. Then people would accept me. They wouldn't reject me and push me over on the side as if I'm some uh, sort of abnormality of life. But watch what happens at the end of the three encounters. As you get down to, let me skip ahead, um, he finally answers him. You need to read it. It's a laugh out loud passage of scripture as he encounters them and they say, well, tell us about him. And he says, I can't tell you about him. But watch verse 32 when he finally answers. He says, hey, let, let, me, let me ask you this. Since the beginning of time, has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, said, oh, you were born entirely in your sins, and are you teaching us? Watch what happens. Guess what? He can see. Now he's going to be accepted, but look at the fi uh, final five words of this verse. Look at it on the screen. Matter of fact, would you do me a favor and read it out loud? That last sentence, those last five words. Are you ready? So they put him out. He began the day where he'd been in being out on the outside, put out, rejected, pushed on the side. 
thinking if I could just ever see every day, if I could just see, I'd finally be included. Verse 35, and here's where we're going to end up. Jesus heard they had put him out and finding him. What did he do? Come on. He found, what did he do? He met him right where he was. Um, in several weeks, I forgot the date, we're going to have a friend day. That's still on the calendar, isn't it? And you're going to invite people to church. I got to tell you, this is messing with me because I would rather friend day, if I had to choose, be a day when every person, every one of us who came here, that we could stand up and say, let me tell you what I've been doing. Great. Invite them to church. That's good. They're going to encounter the presence of God. I can build a case for that. But rather than you invite a person to church once a year or one time, beloved, God is calling us to be the temple and be the tabernacle. What if, again, I can't say that enough. What if that's a descriptor of you in your workplace? Scott, you're sitting in my line of sight, so I'm going to pick on you. What, what, what if it, at, at your job, he speaks to you and says, Scott, I've sent you to be the incarnation of grace and truth. I've sent you to tabernacle at your workplace to just what? To dwell. All I got to do is dwell. All I got to do is be a presence. All I got to be, you're there. You're there. And all of a sudden, okay, all these, these things begin to happen. What if we took that consciousness and said, Father, just direct my steps, create conversations, because here it happens here. Jesus heard when they put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord? I'd love to believe in him. Jesus answered and said, you've both seen him, and here it is. He is the one who is talking with you. Twelve times in the book of John, the word worship is used. One is here. One is a descriptor of someone just going to the temple. The other ten times are all in John 4. So when John used the word worship, he knows what worship means. And here it is. It says, and he said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. Did you know there's no other discussion or dialogue there's this, as sudden as it was earlier in the day that just mud came out of nowhere on his eyes, as suddenly this guy moves to a place of worship. There's no instruction. For him to say he worshiped him there as a Jewish person would have been a radical departure because you go to the temple to do that. But there was something that he had discovered that he couldn't, the blind guy that can now see, that he couldn't articulate. And worship is this. Worship is the opportunity to have a conversation with God. And, God. and if you continue on from chapter 9 to chapter 10, what we forget about, go home and read it today. The guy's not mentioned, but he's still sitting there. He's still part of the discussion that begins to happen going into chapter 10 as Jesus is approached and he, and, and he begins to have a conversation with the Pharisees about shepherds and sheep and, and who stands at the door and who knows whose name. This dialogue just continues. Beloved, I'm asking God to, a piece at a time, awaken within us more than ever the answer we have for people in a time when people feel there is no good answer or reliable answer for anything. There's no piece of information because for every piece of information we get about COVID-19, life or economy or politics, there's an opposing point of view that articulates it and tears it apart. So what are we to believe? Where do we stand? How do we do? We don't have to worry about what if we know who is the truth. 
Can I, I tell you, I'm, I'm just not caught up in that. Why? Uh, because I know the God who is, is the God who was, and he's the God who will be. And I, I'm going to give something away. I've been asked more and more, it's the reason I'm doing this series, do you believe this is the end? Do you believe this is the end? Do you believe this is the end? Yes. Paul did 2,000 years ago. And I'm not marginalizing that. But you know what the Bible says? I can give you several places. One in Hebrews, several places, Timothy, uh, Paul writes. But in Hebrews, it's, it's one of our favorite ones around here, that as you see the day drawing near, encourage one another all the more. Do you know what church folks do? As you see the day drawing near, find somebody with more prophecy charts and timelines for apocalyptic unraveling. Find somebody who can tell you exactly which vaccine is going to inject the mark of the beast. You said you believe that? I'm not telling you what I do, whether I do or not, because you'll come back to find out if I don't tell you. <laughs> that's, that's homiletic marketing, I guess. But, but we're, we're, you know, but here's what the Bible says. I, okay, let me just ask you. How many believe, like never before, we are living in the end times and last days? I'm, I'm, reason, I'm not doing this to my, I, I believe that. Okay? Put your hands down. When it says that, it doesn't say now it is intrinsic or uh, um, um, it is critical that at those moments that you um, understand the interrelationship of the primary apocalyptic literature, Daniel in the Old Testament, Revelation in the New and understand that Revelation is not just apocalyptic literature and all its Buick poetry and, and synchrony, but it is also prophetic, and it's an, an epistle to the church as well when you read the opening chapters, and, and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, here's your timeline, and here's when he's coming, and here's the two witnesses are, and here's what the mark of the beast will be. That is not what God calls us to. If we believe we're living in the end times, it doesn't say go find a Bible chart all the more. It says encourage one another all the more. So I tell people when they, I said, do you really believe it? And I'll do it written, you know, because you set them up for it and say, yeah, I really do. I said, who'd you encourage today? So what are you talking about? I said, if you really believe it's the end times and these are the last days, people who really do it are going to encourage one another. That word means to call out the possibilities from within another person. That's what it means. That's what I want God to be doing with us, the New Hope Church, right now. See, and here, I know this sounds terribly. Last text message late last night with a pastor. I know this sounds terribly trite, what I'm about to say, that we don't know what is in tomorrow, but we know who is. And I, oh, 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 my God did not fail. I know the story I'll tell. I know the song I will sing. I know the declaration because I'm not young. I'm like David when he wrote it. I've been young, now I'm old. And let me tell you what I know. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Oh, oh, oh my God never failed. I know the story I'll tell. I am praying for us, for Tom, more than ever. God, ignite that within me, that at a time and culture when Christian anything is being shut down on Facebook, on social media, because it's fake or whatever, I have a good and close friend who does nothing but gospel presentation. This is true and personal. They have shut him down on, on, on Facebook for doing fake news and, um, what's the other phrase for it? Um, you know, wrong information. 
for sharing the gospel. So what if that happens? Oh, big deal. Come on. What, what happens if they shut down our stream online and Facebook doesn't let us do it? Or the internet? <laughs> I find that laughable. That camera is not the temple. I am. You are. The way that God will transmit the gospel does not require technology. We'll use it. If it goes away, it gets cut off. Oh, well. Am I going to just cross my arms and say, I'm not going to do another thing until I get internet back? I'm going to share the gospel because in like fashion, God's called me to tabernacle among some people and around people and influence people in the same way that Jesus did. We will never be cut off. Check China out. Enough said. I want to tell you guys something that, um, as I said, my last text message with a pastor late last night, as he was really wrestling with some things that had happened, he says, you know, it, God just did not answer the prayer the I, 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 way I wanted it answered. And, and I mean, he's really torn. You can say, well, dude, that happens all the time. It does. But this is no novice person, and I want you to know how hell can attack us. This is a guy who, like Elijah, who is, and I'm saying this poetically, has called down fire and and spoken to rain and outrun chariots. This is that kind of guy. We're never exempt from the adversary being able to find us and nail us. Never. But I want to tell you that in, when, when Romans 8 gives you the list of things that will happen, he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you. Oh, 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 the story I'll tell. God is faithful. He is there. And this pastor is going to have that testimony, and I think it's coming once again in days. He's not young, like I said, not a novice. He's just fighting life and, and terrible realities. You have a testimony. We are called to meet people where they are the same way that God, Jesus came to meet us where we are because static truth doesn't get it there. Writing an article online on Facebook or social media doesn't do it. It's you, me, we are the temple of God. And like never before at New Hope, I'm asking God to awaken that and revive that in us. Now, you want me to tell you my angle? And I'll quit right here and we'll just say, oh, goodness. Amen. Did you know the reason that God gave the Holy Spirit fullness, baptism? It was for it to empower us to be witnesses and share the gospel, to give us the power inside out that would radiate of God's presence. So here's what I've begun to pray for the last six weeks, and it's sort of tongue-in-cheek between God and me. I don't ever attempt to twist God's arm in prayer. It's foolish, but here's what I'm praying. Father, may our commitment at New Hope Church, may our passionate commitment to being witnesses of the kingdom, the gospel, and sharing faith with people, may our commitment to that rise in such a fashion that you are obligated for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit like you did in Acts 2. Amen. See, in Acts chapter 1, yeah, baby, Acts chapter 1, they said, is this going to, he goes, no, here's what I'm, you're going to have the Holy Spirit to do this. And then they went and waited. They acted on that. And I'm saying, Father, ignite within us a passion to share faith, to be a, a, a temp temple or a tabernacle who dwells among your people and who radiates the glory and presence of God. I, I ask that we would, that that would rise up in us so much that there would come a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to where even when you lose an argument like that happened in the book of Acts, people are going to say, uh, uh, you you don't speak real well, and you're not the brightest, but 
It looks, I think you've been with Jesus. See, that can happen. I want that to happen for us. Do this. We're going to say amen. Turn and point at somebody and say, I want that to happen for you. Come on, be rude. In the South, you're not supposed to point. I want that to happen for you. Okay? Week number one. The next six are going to be a blast. We got some great things that I believe God has put in place and and put in line. But as the one prayer I'm praying right now, God, awaken at New Hope Church the wonder of the grace you've deposited in us that we would tabernacle amongst people. Week number one, meet people where they are. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.